Kathy, what's the difference between a low and a high concept movie and which one favors new writers? I think that the low concept favors new writers only because uh, I think studios in general are more willing to take a chance on something that maybe is lower in, in budget. But concept and budget are, are two different things. Uh, a high concept movie usually means a higher concept budget in general. And that would be like your action pictures, your hero, superhero pictures, uh, things like Star Wars, things that have what they call the tentpole. You've probably heard that, that term before, a tentpole effect. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a lot different. Uh, I don't think it's, you, and most of them you'll notice are based on something that's been adapted from another piece of, of material like um, comics, a book, novels, that, that kind of thing. But for new people, coming in, new writers coming in, writing a nice, refreshing uh, project that's in another arena that doesn't require a huge budget and a lot of special effects, that's the way to really get a sense of can they develop characters, can they carry a story all the way through for, for 90 minutes to 100 minutes, and can they, can they give us good roles that actors want. So that, I think, is, is, is better is if you try and do a, a, a lower budget, lower concept in terms of um, a genre or, you know, that's the way to do it. And just a reminder, what's the definition of high concept and low concept again? Well, high, co high concept usually means something that uh, is, it, you, can, you can do a lot more with it in terms of, well, there can always be sequels or prequels. Those tend to be more high budget and more high concept in terms of it's a, a larger world, um, more characters, and they can do, like I said, uh, more with it. They can continue on uh, an adventure with all of those characters. So uh, that's why I think a lot of them you'll see are adapted from other pieces of, of uh, material. And what's a good test if somebody thinks their script is high concept? How can they kind of run it through some tests because maybe they find out that it's actually low concept and they're just not aware. Um, I think genre uh, is one way. Uh, if you look at the ones that usually make the most money or that are based on other pieces of material, a lot of times they fall into science fiction, horror, um, uh, fantasy or sci-fantasy. Those are the most popular genres for that. Uh, certainly if you look at things that are action-adventure like the Born Identity, that's another one that uh, you, you can do a lot with because it's, it, there's always going to be a new adventure as this guy is trying to find out his real identity. Kathy, I believe you have told us previously that you started out in the studios in a typing pool and then yeah. you started to be given <laughs> notes and you realized you were really in your element. So having, having been in the industry for some time, how does the film and television industry really work? You've seen it from sort of this level of being a secretary in the typing pool, sort of being an observer, maybe in hearing things that people didn't even know you were observing, and then you from, from working your way up to a much higher level. How does it work? Well, from the t if you want to do it as a basis of comparison, I think a lot of it has to do with the technology. First of all, uh, a lot of things that were done on a typewriter are no longer, it's, it's now on a computer. So technology is different. Uh, I do think that, that um, there are more people interested 
in becoming involved within the studios and the networks. Uh, I do see that now there are, one of the things I've really noticed, there used to be 10 to 12 studios, and they're now something like six, <laughs> six studios, something like that. There's, um, remember we used to have three basic networks, CBS, ABC, and NBC. And look how many cable stations and how many smaller networks, net, network uh, for television that we have. We have streaming. We have more areas where a person can get projects placed. So that is great because there's more opportunities, which I think everyone needs, you know. So I think that that's a good thing. And that's also a huge difference from what it was when I first started off. How does it really work in terms of if you were to sit down and have lunch with someone that's come from another state or another country and they have a vision of it, how would you sort of give them this maybe 15-minute briefing or less on this is how it works? It's it's either sort of an open system, it's a closed system, this is how the process works of getting projects approved? Um, okay, let's take it just as, you know, just in sort of very brief kind of terms. Uh, if it were about a script, which I think you know, most I think most of your uh, your fans are are interested in in screenwriting. In terms of screenwriting, it's different now because you can uh, give your scripts to other people. In terms of like uh, Amazon has a little bit more open policy. You don't necessarily have to have an agent. I've heard of people who have just sent things to Amazon and it's gotten read. Uh, there are more opportunities in terms of there are all kinds of conferences now where you and pitch fest where you can make these contacts and network. They didn't have that 15, 20 years ago. There were you know there were just very few opportunities to to be able to have a writer meet with agents and producers and and executives. Now there's more of those opportunities. So interesting. So then. But most people to to present their writing would need an agent. It would have to be through somebody else. Mm -hmm. Well, except for web series. I mean, which is another area that that I think we'll get into a little in a little while. But uh, web series, you can just you could put that on Vimeo. You could put it on YouTube. Uh, you don't really need to have an agent. In fact, um, most people don't have agents that are that are web series creators. Right. So then, in terms of getting an agent. Um, are there certain agents that aren't able to pitch to studios on your behalf, or it's, it's a free system in that way? I, I'm just trying to see from, let's suppose, a, a, a total newbie's perspective coming here and um, thinking that they could just basically knock on the door and see the, you know, the person at the front desk and hand it over. That's not really how it works. It's well, you know, to get an agent, you have to have material. Uh, having one script's not going to do it. No. You need to have at least, I would say, two or three spec scripts. And if you're breaking into television, I would suggest trying to get into some of the, uh, there's fellowships and competitions for uh, the major CBS, NBC, and ABC. They all have uh, screenwriting fellowship programs, which you can, you know, uh, I'll give you a list of them and you can, um, if yeah. your readers or your fans would like to, you know, take a look at them, I, I have a list of them for them. Okay. And uh, they have wonderful fellowship programs where you can study with some of their showrunners. And you can, uh, they'll introduce you to some of the showrunners. 
Uh, they'll have them come in, the showrunners come in once a week and talk with these people, you know, who are there on the fellowship program and, and give them hints and ideas about what they're looking for, how a television series actually works, how they how they put things together with the casting and the, and the, the plots and how do you continue a story over a whole, not just a season, but a series of, of years. You know, they now look for um, hopefully at least a five-year season, you know, five-year uh, commitment for a television series. So they learn all of those things directly from these people who are on the front lines. So if you can get into one of those um, fellowship programs, that's great. And so I'll have, I'll, I'll have that fel all those websites for the fellowship programs for you oh, to, give to the, give to your viewers. But uh, in addition, when, it's, when it comes to agents, it's still very hard to get an agent. You can get a manager. Uh, you know how I told you how things seem to be shrinking in terms of like the, the, the networks, the uh, studios? Same thing with the major agencies. A lot of the agencies started merging about 10 years ago. And so they don't have as many of the larger agencies like they used to. Agencies now have to be very, um, they're, they're very cost conscious. And so a lot of the agents, when the agencies merged, they lost some of the, some of the agents lost their jobs. So they became managers. They started using the term managers. And they also decided that they wanted to produce so there are a lot of managers out there now. So that's another uh, area that you might want to look into if you're a new writer. But I'd be careful about it because it just depends on, on whether they are looking just for the material or whether they really want to be able to help you out as a client. Some of them are just looking just for the material. They may just want to do a quick buy of it and have someone else rewrite it or whatever. You know, so you, you have to kind of be careful about it because managers are not, um, they are not regulated, whereas agencies are regulated. Re agencies, you can't charge, you can't get more than 10% off of the sale of, of um, a client's script or material. And what would be a way to see if someone was actually a, a legit registered agent? Is it what, what website would help them? Uh, you can go to the Writers Guild and they will tell you. They have a list of the ones who are legit. And they will also tell you, the good thing too is if you do meet up with a manager or a producer or a production company, if you start to think that there might be something that's not quite right, call the Writers Guild and they'll tell you if people have gotten complained about that. Oh. Uh, I have had, uh, I remember when I worked at Disney, uh, someone called me and gave me their name and they said, I'm so-and-so, I wrote such and such script which was submitted to you six months ago, I have not heard anything. And I looked it up on my, on my computer and I couldn't find it. And I said, well, what's your agent's name? And they told me and it didn't sound familiar at all. And so I said, you know, can you do me a favor? Can you tell me the name of your script and, I'll, and, your, and your name? And I said, I'll, I'll put, take all the information down and I will check and see what's going on. I called the Writers Guild and they had four outstanding um, oh, no. complaints about this person who was posing as an agent. Oh. He said, in fact, he said he was an agent slash manager. And uh, he was not uh, registered with them. So a wow. lot of people pay money to these people. And you're not supposed to pay money. This, this gal who submitted her script, he was asking 
for $25 for each submission he would make to a studio. He said, okay, I submitted it to four studios. Mm. That'll be $100. Oh, wow. So due diligence. Call exactly. It. Can you even go on the website yourself? You know, like the LA County Bar or, or the state bar. Oh, you yeah, can just find yeah, out. You can, yeah, do, okay. you can do it that way too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it may take a little bit longer because they have to, pro I mean, they, they get emails all the time. Whereas sometimes if you just make a call, you might catch the right person. They might be able to quickly look it up in their database. Okay. Because I don't know if they have their whole database on the website. I don't think they mm. do. And for something like complaints, sure. it might be something better to, to talk to somebody who, who's in person who is there and can look it up for you. And would you recommend, even if you have a good feeling about somebody, just to just make sure that everything's... It doesn't it hurt. It doesn't hurt. Okay, yeah. great. Good to the know. other thing too is, one of the best suggestions I can give to new writers is join a writers group. That You can do it online now. You don't have to all just live in the same city or anything. You can do it online. Uh, a lot of people will trade via email or whatever and just look at each other's scripts and give feedback and, and be a support system for one another. But also, for some of the some of the people who have actually submitted material or if somebody has actually gotten interest from a production company, they know whether something works or not. And it's just like the same thing with screenplay competitions. There's so many of them out there now. And a lot of them, all they do is they just get the entry money and they really don't give you any kind of value. So what I do every year is I, um, I have several of my clients that, that I've, um, that I do business with and I always ask them, I'll send out a little questionnaire, you know, what are some of the competitions that you feel really work? Which are the ones that you think um, are the best for new writers to enter? And you know, I've, I put out, you know, a little list of that and I'll, I'll give that to you too. Oh great. And it, it really gives you a good idea of the ones that are the most reliable and it really is worth your time. And that's how another writer would really know, it's through word of mouth? I think word of mouth is the best thing because if you know that some, if there's somebody that you know who actually has gone through a competition or actually has um, used an agent or even in things like a, like a consultant, you know, like, gosh, I'm looking for somebody, uh, to, you know, professional to read my script, you know, who can you guys suggest? Who have you guys used? Perfect way to do it, you know, because word of mouth is everything to me, you know, and that's how it works actually in the industry. When you talk about uh, agents, you know, that's how a lot of people get agents is because they know someone who knows the agent and it goes by word of mouth. Um, that's one of the best ways if you, if you want to get an agent. But most of us don't know somebody. I mean, I, when I started out in the business, I knew no one in the industry. And so, you know, I was not able to get a job that way. So the same thing for a lot of the writers, but I have, I have clients who eventually have gotten agents and it's because they've gone to Pitch Fest or because they, they placed in a screenplay competition. So the, form, the, the, the best thing is when you enter these competitions, make sure that they have reputable people who are the final judges. Mm. Are these people agents, studio execs, network people, showrunners, writers, you know, who are these people that are doing the final judging? And if they have final judges who are professionals in the industry, mm -hmm. they're going to be looking for clients. They're going to be looking for material. And it's not unusual. Sometimes whoever wins, whoever wins the uh, screenplay competition, it may not necessarily mean that, that, it, that that project will get made, but 
there's always a possibility that maybe they will ask him, what else do you have? Or, gee, have you thought about turning your script in, instead of a movie, how about into a TV series? Uh, I've, I've had a couple of clients who actually have gotten agents just because they placed. They placed like fourth or fifth. Mm -hmm. but, they were, but there are agents who read the material and saw that there is something about that material and that writer that had a, a voice, a different kind of voice that they hadn't seen. So going back to the judges, uh, mm -hmm. maybe just just a quick Google search of is this judge working currently in the industry? Mm -hmm. and, and that's a good test to the see. The other thing too is sometimes they don't know until later on whether or not who's going to exactly be judging, who the exact people are. So what you can always do is, is send a little email to them and just say, can you tell me who are some of the judges you've had in the past? It gives you an idea of the caliber of judges. Going back to how does the film and television industry work, so let's suppose someone has a reputable agent, they've checked them out and they know that they're uh, in good standing, there's no grievances or complaints, and then they've had this agent submit on behalf of them to a studio. What's the process like? What should they expect? What's the time frame? What if it's optioned? What, what happens? <laughs> That's a lot of questions at one time. <laughs> um, certainly, uh, it does take time. Uh, there are more than a thousand pieces of material submitted every month to the studios, you know, uh, maybe slightly less to larger production companies, but it's a lot of material. Somebody's got to read it, has to go up a chain of command, so it does take a little while. Uh, I would say reasonable time. They usually get things done, you know, read it, or, and we'll be able to tell you in four to six weeks, roughly. That's what it used to be when I was working at the studios. It could be maybe slightly longer now, although a lot of, lot of times um, it's now, everything is now on, on the computer. So you could just read it at your, at, at your leisure. You don't have to wait for things to be mailed and that kind of stuff. But I, I do think that a lot of times it also depends on who else is submitting material. There may be a more important agent or there may be an agent who has a script that has some famous actor or director attached to it, they are going to get preference. So sometimes scripts get put that, pushed down a little lower, a little lower, a little lower. So you do have to watch out for that. And I do think that it's important that people understand that for first timers, it's, you're going to be there uh, towards the bottom. And so it probably would be longer. So I would say, you know, four to say four to six weeks. And if you don't hear anything, what you do is you just email or call your 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 agent and just you know ask them about it. Um, also find out from them if they've heard anything because usually they don't just submit it to one place. They usually try to submit it to a few places because they want to get a consensus of what of what in general what the producers and and the um, studio people are looking for. Well, let's suppose somebody says, we like it, it's a go. Mm -hmm. What happens? What are some of the possibilities? Well, first of all, I don't think they're going to say it right away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But they will probably say, we are interested in this. Can you tell us more? And one of the other questions they're going to ask, what else do you have? Because they want to know, is just this person, if they like your writing, they're going to know what else do they have? In what genre is it? Is this somebody that, a writer that we want to kind of like maybe... Uh, get a jump on their other material. They're always thinking ahead. 
because they don't want to just put all their eggs in one basket. They want to know that there's somebody that's got uh, free-flowing talent that's going to continue to build a relationship on. And that's why agents are always going to ask that of you before they take you on as a client. What else do you have? What else do you have? And that's because the studio and the, pr the producers always ask, what else, well, what else does this guy have? You know, they want to know, is this, does this writer have more material? Because they would like to look at more material. Kathy, what are some fatal errors that a writer should avoid at all costs? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I think one of the things is that you, you need to know that it's not just one script. You have to think about your whole career, that you don't just bank all your hopes on this one piece of material. You have to be working constantly and that things don't happen just like that. Uh, one of the things I did on, in my book is I took a survey. I asked all of these writers who c came into the studios and that I worked with, I asked them a you know, couple of questions. And one of them was, how long did it take you? How many scripts did you have to write before you either, before something major happened, like you got an agent or that you got an option or so somebody bought something? I interviewed over 200 professional writers. These are not waiter writers, these are professional writers. Only one got her script sold, the first script. Wow. And she said it took five years for her to get a second sale. Wow. Yeah. And the average actually turned out to be eight or nine. Eight or nine scripts. Scripts, okay. Wow. So it's, it's, if you have to love what you do, you don't want to be a one-script wonder. It doesn't happen very often where somebody only writes one script and that's it, and then nothing. They have to be writing constantly, and that's what agents you know, and um, executives are looking for and producers are looking for. They want to build a relationship. You'll notice that people like Spielberg and... Um, all the, all the big directors, you notice they all, all have the same credits, the same, same people for, you know, uh, cinematographer, script supervisor, you know, and they go to some of the same writers because they have built a relationship with them, because they like their kind of storytelling, because their characters speak the same language that they would like to convey to, you know, movie viewers. And so, being able to have those kind of relationships, it's not just writing, it's also writing the kinds of things that are going to continue that relationship. So uh, I love the fact that, that most of the writers nowadays have a better understanding of that. And they, when I, when I see them at, at like Script Fest or Great American Pitch Fest, uh, when I ask them, I always ask them, you know, what else are you working on? Just to test them. Nowadays, most of them will say that they have more than one that they're working on. So I guess it's working. I guess they are getting, the, getting that news that you need to have more than one piece of material. And a lot of them are branching out in genres, whereas a lot of them, first were they, oh, I only like to do action-adventure. I only like to do romantic comedy. And nowadays, I hear them branching out more and wanting to do, well, I, I thought I'd, you know, I, I thought I'd you know, challenge myself, so I thought I'd do something a little different, so I'm doing a mystery. Yeah, and it's it's nice to hear that now that they're doing that, and I do think that I think uh, it makes it for for age a lot of the agents. 
it's not just looking at material and saying, what's, where's that big tent pole thing? It's also, what does this particular writer have? Do they have that, that um, what's the best word to use? Do they have that sense of adventure of wanting to go further with their talents as a writer, to go further and, and look at other pieces of material and write about something that is totally different than what's out there? That's interesting. How do you think they can tell that someone has that sense of adventure? I think just by talking to them and reading, what are you working on? You know, what is because they, they want to know what it is that you're working on. Oh yeah, if I'm just, if they give a one-line answer like, oh, I'm working on another action adventure, or I'm, I'm, well, you know, I like comedy, so I thought I'd do another comedy. I see. If you're only working on what one genre or one thing that they're that they that you that maybe you you did well on your first script and you're only working on that, yeah, they're glad to hear that, but they want to know that there's more. What else are you giving them that's going to be so different? Because, see, they have to sell it. They have to sell it. The uh, agents have to sell it to the producers, and the producers have to sell it to the, the distributors or the studios. So an openness and a willingness. If they see that you're too closed off, then mm -hmm. maybe they realize it's a pass just because down the, down the line, it's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. Yeah. So other fatal errors a writer make, either even in, <laughs> in just how they present themselves or? Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, I feel that a lot of writers don't put enough, they don't invest enough in themselves in terms of, of getting out there and networking. Uh, most common excuses are, I don't live in Hollywood or I don't know somebody in the business, or you know, they, they, you know, they don't make that investment. Nowadays, with social media, you can be just as up to date as anybody else who lives in, in the city, because you, all you have to do is just be able to go on, online, develop a, a, a group. Like I said, there's writers groups that are online. And go to conferences, invest in yourself, and that's. I think that's one of the, one of the best pieces of advice I can give to people. Consider investing in yourself. If this is something you want to do, if you're serious about it, you go to a you go to college if you want to be an engineer or a doctor. Then you have to invest in yourself if you're going to be a writer. Go to the writing conferences, or or um, they now have a lot of them online. Do courses online. Uh, invest in in getting together with other like-minded writers and going to writer retreats or do, just going out and looking at all the material that's out there and taking courses to you know to to really further not just your your writing but to further your network i i don't like using the term network so much i like to say building a community of contacts and when you do that it it really makes a difference because that's where a lot of the uh connections start getting made. You know, like there are people who were, I, I have clients where one of them, you know, got an agent and there was another, she heard that her boss or her, her agent, uh, that their agency was looking for somebody who had an action adventure piece. She remembered that the gal in her class, uh, in her group, had one. And so she got a synopsis and sent it to them. Now, they didn't buy it but they read the synopsis and they said, hey, if you, if you, you know, if you have something else, you know, feel free to send it to us. They didn't sign her, but they expressed an interest at looking at her work. So 
just that was just built built by the fact that she was in the same writers group as this woman. So that's that is one way you can you you can do that. Uh, I also suggest that if if people are really serious about their writing, invest in, in going to a consultant and really getting your material read by a professional. Uh, and there's so many people that specialize, and that's what's great because if you have something that uh, you know, before you should just be a consultant, and maybe it was just for film, but look for somebody who maybe has a specialty in television or you know whatever your project is and look for someone that has those interests or who has developed material uh, along that line. It, there are certain parameters I think that, that uh, I, I know that as a consultant I don't feel I can do everything so sometimes there's, if, I, if somebody contacts me and they say oh I've got this horror picture and I'm not a, you know I don't really I haven't done as many in the horror genre and if I don't feel I can um, give them exactly what they want, I'm very good about recommending some of my other consultants' friends who, you know, maybe would, would be better, a better fit. But you know, finding that right person uh, that you can consult with and help help you really restructure your your work well that's important. And not to you know, I, I remember that that uh, not long ago a lot of people said, well, yeah, but you know, I have my writers group or. Or, uh, you know, I have a cousin that, that was an English major, whatever it is. And yes, the, people like that are helpful, but you want to get it from people who have either worked in the studios or have been in, worked in production or have been with a producer, uh, worked in television, whatever, the, whatever area that you're looking at. You know, what, is the, what have they done? And it's important to do your due diligence. It's just part of investing in yourself and taking the time to research that. And I think a lot of writers don't because they're so eager. They just say, oh, okay, and they just Google consultants and 35,000 names are going to come out. You know, it's your due diligence to go through and check them all out and to go, you know, and check out with other writers and find out. Go online and say, hey, you know, uh, I've got a script. It's a sci-fi. Anybody else have a sci-fi? And who, do you, who did you get as a consultant? And once you get a few names, run them through the ringer in, the, in Google and see who you get. And who comes out on top? Uh, it's word of mouth is so important. I do think that you sometimes people are really good at pitching, and then they don't have the the material to back them up. And then we have conversely, right? We have writers who have great material, but they have not spent enough time learning how to pitch. That's a huge mistake. Uh, I you know you can do pitching things online. You can do. Um, you can also go go to uh, like ScriptFest. Um, there's a lot of other you know organizations that have. I think there's Virtual Pitch Fest too, but there's and I'll give you listings for that one also. But you can go to these these different areas and say, hey, you know, uh, I want to l learn more and sit in on the on the panels and the discussions and do some of the practice pitches. And that's a lot of fun to do actually. It's a, uh, I do a course. In fact, I'm doing one for the Big Break people where I'm going to have them uh, pitch their projects to me and I'm going to pretend to you know, be the studio exec. And, oh, nice. and it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I look at it as, as a, a good rehearsal for them because during the, the uh, event itself, the awards event, they're going to be sitting next to agents and producers and some of the people that could make or break their career. You said something really interesting and I think I've brought this up in prior interviews, but I read an article about how 
extroverts and sometimes narcissists do much better in job interviews versus introverts and people that would actually be more well qualified for the job, but they don't come across well when they present themselves. So I'm imagining that's the same with pitches because I think a lot of people, and this is probably why they're such great writers, is they're so internal, they're so like worried about things and thinking that they don't make the best impression, but they might actually be the best person for the job. So it sounds like that's that's a common thing with pitching that maybe people that are great show people mm-hmm. that that they maybe don't have the material as much to back it up versus the ones that maybe are a little more shy or I hate to use the term mousy but you know somebody that might be less of a show person. Writers in general, uh, most of the writers I've met are are a little bit more introverted. They're, they're used to working by themselves. That's Writing is a solitary thing, unless you write with a partner. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a solitary thing. And it's hard for them to express everything verbally. In fact, I think it's probably more terrifying for them to be able to talk about themselves than it is to talk about their scripts as well. And th- I think that's one of the things I always have to tell writers is, if you don't feel comfortable on, in who you are, what you should do is write your own kind of um, little personal story or outline of, of, of who you are. Uh, as an example, one of my favorites is, I, I used to do the interviews for the Disney internship program, and there was a guy there from UCLA, and he, uh, he had the most interesting story about himself and I said tell me a little bit about yourself because that's usually how a lot of us start off you know we will ask people tell us a little bit so they can kind of ease you into before you're doing the pitch and he was so funny and he just said well I grew up as a military brat and I was born in you know Germany and I spent you know five years there and then I spent four years in Thailand with my you know my dad was transferred to Thailand and then and then I uh, uh, I ended up in the Philippines and and anyway he says here I am now at UCLA and this is my my fifth year at UCLA and it's the longest I've ever spent anywhere <laughs> at one time and he says but you know my favorite thing is I can translate any I can translate any movie or I can read subtitles and and he named off all the languages that he had learned. I thought, my god, what an interesting guy. He he has such a a beautiful world view. Uh, and think what he can bring to his stories uh, about the diverse cultures, about looking at things through a different lens than just an American lens. And uh, I then had him, you know, come in and he talked to the rest of our group and he talked about the same kind of thing and we all loved him. And that was what nailed it for us, is that he had that kind of uh, sensibility about himself. He wasn't afraid to just sort of talk about himself, and, but he did it in a way that made it interesting and made us realize this guy could get, must give us a different, he probably has the ability to give us a different voice in his writing. Interesting. Uh, there are other, there are other, um, you know, ideas that that have come across where I think people don't understand that you do have to talk about yourself to a certain extent, and I think people feel uncomfortable about that. I think that's what I um, one of the things I try to do when when we, I'm doing my networking classes. I try to do icebreakers so that people 
get used to being asked about themselves and about their projects because maybe they're taught that well you don't you shouldn't be talking about yourself you should just be talking about your project it's a combination we are not only looking for a project we are looking for somebody we want to be in business with and that's what I, I'm trying to get across is that it's a twofold thing and so when you build your network of, con of contacts that is exactly what you should be doing. You should be talking about your projects to these people, you know, to your, your group, but also letting them know a little bit more about who you are as a person. These things stick in our mind. Uh, one guy came in and he had actually gotten a couple of, of jobs, you know, doing small little rewrites and he had done some punch-up stuff for comedies. Uh, and I remember he kept looking at his watch while we were having a meeting. He, he was pitching a story to me. He kept looking at his watch. And I finally just said, um, do you need to go somewhere? Do you have an appointment? <laughs> and he just said, I really feel embarrassed, but I'm really into fantasy baseball. <laughs> Our fantasy baseball league, I'm supposed to meet some friends. And, and it had been, he, he, he did, a, move, he did a, uh, a, a conversation with me, and it was unfortunately at the end of the day. And I was running late, and so he was kind of concerned about that. But it didn't work out. But he did give me a good pitch in terms of, you know, I, I, but what was funny is that one thing, his honesty about saying, well, you know, right. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just a, a big nerd about this fantasy baseball thing. And I, that stuck in me. I, it was so funny. Six months later, uh, the head of the studio said, you know what? Um, my kid's doing Little League, and I want to talk, you know, I, I, I think we should do something about Little League. Do you know how fanatical people are and about Little League and about baseball and stuff like this? And, and so, anyway, it's, it was one of those things where he says, uh, we need to do a project on this, and we need to find a writer. So maybe we can, uh, if we can talk to a bunch of writers about this. So guess whose name came? Right. <laughs> Immediately I thought, oh, yes, let's get Kevin. And so we did this thing where we had... Some other, some of the other execs too had people that they had in mind to, to come in, and we listened to about five or six pitches. Kevin's was like head and shoulders above all the rest because he was a fanatic about baseball. It was just that one little sentence that he gave me, where you're networking with people and you're letting somebody know a little bit about yourself and opening up, and so that's why I want to encourage writers to do that. I think it's important that they, they open up about who they are, too. I've been reading this book called LOL. I think the writer is Christy Deerling, and it's about her life growing up poor, and then she became this multi-million dollar salesperson and, and I think vice president of a company. She talked about what she learned that was the poverty mentality versus people that break out of that, and that is a willingness to find a solution that people that stay in a poverty mentality wow. don't, and those who break out, they find solutions. They have a problem, they find a solution. That being said, people creating opportunities for themselves in, in LA as a writer, it doesn't even have to be in LA, but those who don't and say, I don't know what to do, can't find, you know, I've been submitting, whatever, versus those who find a way out of that problem. What have you noticed? Well, the, it, you know, I think what you're saying is true. I, I do think, you know, we, let's, let's face it, we can't have it all. We can't, we can't be perfect in every single area. And I think one of, the, one of the things I've noticed, you were talking about, you know, earlier we were talking about uh, the fact that there are, are differences in, in how things are done in the industry now. And one of the things is 
there are a lot more people who are, who are into career counseling as consultants. And sometimes when you get stuck, and especially with, with writers, because it's, writers are, are so in, usually so internal uh, about how they, they process things, uh, sometimes it's hard for them to become external and try and, and get things out there and to do it the right way. Uh, I know that there are several people that, that are now career counselors who have really helped in that area to try and, and uh, bring, they, they talk to you and, and find out what it is about you that, that they feel is special and, and uh, what is it about your writing that's meaningful and they try to bring that out in you and for you to use that to help you to, you know, with your work. And I do think that that's something that, that uh, writers can look into. Not just writers, but I know actors and actresses too. A lot of times they have to go to career coaches to help them out with that. You would think, actors and actresses, you would think that they would be very external and very out there. But um, a lot of actors and actresses I've met, there's a, a lot of self-doubt sometimes behind them. And so uh, every once in a while, if they get, get stuck, that's what they, they sometimes do. They go to career coaches to help them out. So there are career coaches that, they, that, that are specialists in, in terms of uh, with writing. Let's say somebody at this point can't afford that. Mm -hmm. um, what are some other things people can do to create an opportunity for themselves? It sounds like a writing group or mm -hmm. any type of creative writing group. Writing group is wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, the more people you communicate with who are doing the same thing you are doing um, means more opportunities because I've noticed that if one person finds a little bit of success, they're willing to share it and, you know, like if they get a, a, an agent or if they, um, if they get a producer to read their material, they're then ready to say, oh, well, you know, maybe I can, you know, help this person who has a, a, a project that maybe that producer's looking for. As I mentioned earlier, that that's what happened with one of my clients when she was in a writer's group. So I think that that, that really does help. I do think it also helps if you have a, if, if you go to different, you know, the, in, the, in terms of networking, there are networking groups that they have here in, in LA. Uh, there's one that I think it's the first Friday of each month, and I think it's called First Friday or something, and, uh -huh. but they have a group where people get together and they will say, okay, we are meeting at such and such, usually it's a cocktail bar or something, you know, some, some group, uh, you know, restaurant or something. And uh, a lot of times there's other writers there. There's also other writers who have made it, who were in that group, who sometimes come. So there's, there's things like that. Um, Somebody else I know said that when they first moved here, they knew no one. What they did is they went, they went and Googled writer, screenwriter meetup, and they came up with a list of things, and she went to every single one of those. She formed her own writer's group from the people that were of interest to her, that really, oh. she felt she made it a connection with it. She now has a lot of, a lot of friends. She came here knowing no one. She's from North Dakota, <laughs> oh, wow. and she said there was nobody in her town that, that you know she she put up a little thing saying uh, any screener she put it up at the local university at, at you know in her in her town, and nobody there's nobody there that that said anything about yeah they're they're interested <laughs> in screenwriting, so she felt okay I guess I got to move to you know to California, and so she just took a leap of faith and she did that. I mean it doesn't work for everybody, but it sure worked for her. And uh, she now has an agent. Uh, she 
has been doing punch-ups and stuff. She, she, she's really a great uh, comedy writer. And so she's been doing punch-ups and she's been doing some stuff for late night. They've tried her out doing some stuff for late night um, uh, comedy work, you know, to, to uh, do writing there. So, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how people start to make slow progress just by being, you know, by the connections that they're making. I think we all know someone that has great intentions but that maybe they just kind of wait for emails, they wait by the phone, <clears throat> oh, and they yeah. don't do anything about it. What have you seen from that sort of type that gets them out, that, that they stop waiting and relying on someone else, and they, and they start making opportunities, just like the woman that started her own meetup group. I, mean, I think that's an excellent idea. But that's kind of scary. I mean, that takes a leap of, uh, yeah, I, I get it, she knew some of the people, but I mean, still, it's intimidating. But how, what do you see? Well, I think the most, she told me the most intimidating thing was moving from North Dakota to California. Sure, sure. That's, that's scary in itself. It was scary, but she figured if she could do that, she had nothing to, she looked at it about when she went to these meetup groups, she knew nobody. She figured she had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And I think a lot of it is, the, is, is your attitude when you come in. If you, if you are looking for something and you really want it, you make the effort to let somebody get to know you better. And, and it does, it takes a huge leap of faith. Um, but it's, it's worthwhile in the long run for most people who do put themselves out there. Uh, it's not easy, um, but you know, you, you have to do that. I mean, and there are a lot of people who just give up. And if they give up, it meant, it, to me it means then, it's, then it wasn't meant for you, that, that's, that wasn't meant for you. Uh, but if you stick with it, something eventually is going to happen. Uh, like I told you, I, I interviewed over 200 of these people who are professional writers. The average was eight scripts. There was one guy who is now on, on, on staff on television. He's a really good television writer. And I asked him, I said, well, gosh, how did you feel? You know, what, he, you know how many scripts it took him? It took him 12 scripts. Wow. And I said, well, what did you do? You know, like, when you reached eight, eight scripts or something. He says, you know what? I don't know. There just was something about it. I could not stop. I mean, it became like, I'm going to do this. And he just had to do it. And he just kept writing and writing. And he finally got to that 12th script. And I, and I, so I, I said to him, I said, gee, I'd like to read some of those first 10 scripts. And he goes, uh, <laughs> no, I don't think you want to. And I said, well, yeah, but I'd like to see what they were like. And he goes, you know what? I, I don't let anybody read them. I said, well, do you still have them? And he goes, yeah, I have them in a drawer in the bottom of my desk. And I said, well, why are you keeping them then? And he said, it's to keep me humble because how could I even think, I look at those 10 and I said, how could I even think that I was a writer when I read those 10 scripts? I mean, <laughs> it just amazed me. And this guy's quite successful. I mean, he makes six figures a year, you know, as a writer and he's doing quite well but it took him that long. And so it does, it, it, you have to have that determination. You, you just have to do it. You know, if you, you can't just say, well, I'll, you know, oh well, I guess it's not gonna happen. It's like, you have to do, I always tell people, it's like, you're knocking on Hollywood's door. They aren't gonna answer if you're, you know, you're not gonna get that door open if you don't answer, you know, give them the answers or you don't tell them anything, what it is that you want. And it's not just what you want, you have to show them what you have. So want and have are two different things. You know, you can dream about it, but you have to make the dream come true. Dreaming about it and not doing anything about it, are, are, that's, 
that's the difference between success and failure. And I, some of the people that I've seen that I've known for years who now are doing quite well in the business, it's because they deserved it. They really stuck to it. They just couldn't help themselves. They had to keep writing. And they believed enough in themselves that they said, you know, I got to do this. A lot of times they had to take two or three jobs in order to do it. Uh, a lot of times they, family and marriage and family came in, you know, and, and went in between all of that. Because uh, I asked one of them one time. His wife was a teacher and they have twins and so he had to be the one to stay home and take care of the twins, which is not easy. And I asked him, how did you do it and get your assignments in on time? And he said he basically had to stay up at night and do it. He would set the alarm, he'd go to sleep at 10 o'clock, he would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, do the feeding, and then he would work for three hours straight until he got, and he always, he gave himself, you know, that he would have to write so many words, you know, or, or, or how many scenes or whatever it is, and I mean, that's how he did it. He just stuck to it. And he said there were times when he would sit there and he would be waiting and waiting for those words to come, and it wouldn't. And he finally would just start writing down random words. And pretty soon he would come across something. And he said, it would just like, oh, wait a minute, that word, oh, okay. And then pretty soon it would start to flow. And he says he doesn't understand it to this day. He just knows it happened. And he said he just, that's what he, he did. But he always made sure, he said, even on the times when he felt like he couldn't do it, he just felt he had, if he wasn't going to write, he was going to sit there and stare at that page and just write random words until something came to him because he felt he had to at least physically be doing it or physically typing it up for him to be able to feel that okay even if I don't come if I didn't I'm not sitting here with an idea in mind I'm just going to keep typing something until something strikes me and that's literally how he said he got some of his assignments done he, some of them were, were, some of it was trash, you know, he didn't, you know, he would type for an hour and nothing would come up and then all of a sudden something would click. So I think he just felt that he had to do it. He forced himself to do it and it worked for him and he had the weirdest hours, but it worked for him. Yeah. Should a writer aim for a certain amount of rejections per year? And if they're not getting those rejections, then that means they're probably not getting out there enough? Is that an interesting way to look at it, or maybe I'm being um, too negative here? <laughs> <laughs> That's entirely possible. I, you know, I don't know if there is such a thing as a certain number of rejections, you know, whether you are setting the bar for something, you know, for failure or not. Um, I think you, uh, instead, I would turn it around and say, okay, I think once a week set a goal for doing at least one piece of marketing or two pieces of marketing. I think that's a better way of looking at it than saying, okay, I've had 10, I've, I've, I've reached the threshold of 10 rejections this month, so I'm not gonna do anything now. I mean, that to me is more negative. So I would, I would say, okay, let's do this in, uh, in a week. Let's, let's, why don't I look up, you know, um, five different places that I can send out letters or that I can send emails to or, why don't I uh, look up 10 different resources for uh, comp screen, screenwriting competitions or something. Doing something like that, I think, is much more productive 
because you never know when one of those are going to come. But to, to just say, well, okay, if I did this many rejections, then that means I, I quit. Because who knows if you didn't do that next one. Define pieces of marketing. Marketing just means making the effort to get out there, whether it's posting something, uh, you know, that, that you feel is, you know, like y th there are places that you can post your, your story ideas, you know, and your, your synopses. And then if someone's interested, they will then contact you and then you can let them, you know, look at your script and they can, you can get your script read. So you can post your projects. You can be, uh, you can, you know, to me, uh, it's not just posting a project. It's also like uh, making plans to enter a competition. Uh, making plans to send out, you know, to go to a, a, a conference or something. Those are positive things that are moving in the direction. And you have to invest in yourself. I understand that sometimes people go, yeah, but it costs money to enter a competition. Or, yeah, it costs money to, to go to um, a, a, a conference. Well, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're really, if you're really serious about it, you have to make the investment in yourself somehow. And so maybe you have to be a little bit more frugal about things. Okay, maybe I can only spend $10 or something or $20 or whatever it is a week that I'm going to do this to sock that away for it. But whatever it is, you make those plans. I mean, that's, that's just it. I mean, I know that I, I have clients who have done, who, who did it for years before something happened for them. But now things are working for them, or they really feel like they can't stop, and they're really doing some, some really good work. And it takes a lot of time. You can't just expect it to happen overnight, because it doesn't. And that, that certainly that survey I took of all those professional writers proves that it doesn't work overnight. Um, it took that one writer who, who, who did 12, 12 scripts before he got an agent. Uh, I think he said he, he wrote those 12 scripts over 15 years. Oh, wow. And you were, sounds like you were very surprised to hear that number as well. I was. And you've worked I was. in the industry for a long time. Well, this is, this is a guy who was a top writer, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> you would think that, oh, well, you know, something must have happened and right away something, you know, that, that it would continue and continue. But, and also like the, the one gal I told you about who on her first script got somebody to read it and buy it, but it took her five years. Yeah. And, and four more scripts before she got somebody to option her second one. And it never got made, unfortunately. They optioned it at a studio, and then a new set of people came in, and, oh. you know, and they didn't want to continue with that particular script. But you never know. I mean, those, that's how, how this business is. You know, I'm hearing that a lot, a regime change. And, and how should someone stay current? Because that is difficult when a new group of people who don't know you and maybe they had sort of a, 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 a relationship with you, come in, how do you ingratiate yourself to a new regime? Well, it's hard to personally do that, but to be aware of it, what you need to do is, uh, like, and especially if you have a writer's group, if you guys together get a subscription, you know, uh, to the reporter or the writer, whatever one you want, you choose, and uh, you guys share that share the subscription, uh, and you know. In fact, there's there's people who have writers group where people take turns doing it, so that once a month they they rattle off. Okay, here's what here's what I read, and you know, and here's and here's the latest news that that, that I've gotten, 
and then the, the next person next month another person does it so that everybody is well read but reports everything back to everyone and I think that's a nice way of being able to do it. it's networking but it's also getting out really good solid information hey so-and-so is no longer at the head of this this production company hired a new story editor this you know it's information that that is valuable to the whole group and that's that's how you keep current uh, naturally if you have an agent or a manager they should already know these things but don't count and this is another I think mistake that a lot of writers make they feel that if they have an agent or a manager they don't need to do anything right and uh, one of my friends one of my best friends actually has won an Oscar and she tells me that a lot of her a lot of the things that happen it's not because she has an agent or a manager it's because she made the effort to go out and talk to people and to find out what was going on and you know she's kept up her even though she lives out of town she doesn't live in in uh, Los Angeles but she keeps up with email and uh, you know phone calls and she is in touch with a lot of the producers and production people that she used to um, do business with when she was living down here and she said it's been the most valuable lesson that she's learned is to keep those contacts and to send Christmas cards or to give them a call every once in a while and you'd be surprised um, one of the things is that she happened to write a movie for somebody who was a, te a television um, star of a television show I'm not going to mention the name of it sure. or anything but uh, that actress her star really rose and what happened is my friend happened to uh, see her at at uh, a Writers Guild event and went up to her and talked to her and the woman looked at her and she goes oh my god you're the one who wrote the script for that movie the week that helped my career shoot up and it was like oh, wow. she she remembered her name right. because of that I think you know and so she says you know if you get a chance you know if you if you're writing something you think I might be good for it please let me take a look at it and sure enough a year later my friend sent it, sent it to her and so um, they took a look at it there I don't know if it's anything has come of it yet but I do know that that it's something that um, is on their mind so it's on their radar and they might be doing it there's some other material that she's doing that uh, other commitments she has so you never know you know going back to the idea of focusing on solutions and not wallowing in well I can't do this or whatever let's say there is a regime change mm -hmm. and you can just tell that the relationship that was once there, the fit, the, the, the culture of that place has changed and maybe you're not a fit anymore. How can someone find a solution in that instead of wallowing in, well, they don't want me and well, I'm going to feel bad about it? It's to keep, keep track of where that initial person was. Where did he or she go? Because they are going to have an influence, their mindset, their preferences and genres or whatever are going to be going to another production company or another agency or another network or whatever uh, find out where that other person goes interesting okay and you could send a little thing congratulations on your new home at right. such and such you know I really enjoyed working with you and I'm sorry that that um, I'm sorry to hear that you won't will no longer be at such and such but I'm really happy that you're at this new position position and I think that helps interesting kind of keeps the um, the relationship going okay that's a, that's a great way so 
the solution is then you find the place where you were a fit and the person that you did sort of work mm -hmm. well with and you just say hello, see that you've moved on, congratulations on the new job. And instead of trying to beat your head against a wall and say, they don't want me anymore. <laughs> you got to try not to take it personally. Okay, right. Because like I said, there's always a, there's a thousand scripts that come to the studios every month. Mm -hmm. Those are scripts that all come from agents and producers and entertainment attorneys. Which is, by the way, is another way you could, that um, if you want to hire an entertainment attorney, it's, mm -hmm. it's costly, but a lot of people will sometimes do that. But in all aspects of the business here, it seems like groups change. There, there's mm -hmm. a lot of people, they move from one position to another. And that can really make or break how easy it is for someone to continue a relationship and the opportunities there. It just could be a simple thing as they don't really know you and they already have people in place that they do know. And so instead of letting that stop you, finding those people and where they go. That's it's, a great it, I mean, it's so funny because the industry, the entertainment industry, is mimicking um, corporate, corporate stuff that, that we grew up with. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, a lot of people, their, their parents worked for the same company their whole life. You don't do that. It's the same thing. People used to work for studios. That was all they, they only worked at one studio or maybe two studios. It's not like that anymore. And be, besides that, it used to be like, that was kind of frowned on that if, if you were jumping around from sure. job to job. You know? And I remember my parents, they were kind of concerned. Well, you're not at Disney and now you're over at Island and now you're over <laughs> at Paramount. You're, what's going on? You know, how are you ever gonna, you know, are you going to find a home? You know, are you going to find a company you want to work with? And I said, it's not that I don't want to, but, you know, their needs and my needs change. And so sometimes, you know, if you're not a good fit, you're not a good fit. Uh, that's one thing is, is that uh, one of the, and that's actually one of the reasons why I decided to leave the corporate end of things, uh, you know, uh, rather than to work in the studio system, because that's, that wasn't, what I like to do. My goal was not to run a studio. When I was doing it, it was because I enjoyed working with writers. And the further up the ladder you get, the less you're working with the writers. You, you're then having to work with, um, uh, with, with more with the agents and the producers and the you know. And I loved working with the writers. That was that that really always has been my favorite thing to do and the thing that I think where my strengths shine through. So um, becoming a, cons a consultant was was a no-brainer for me. Well, we've talked to John Truby, mm -hmm. and he said to us when we interviewed him that Hollywood doesn't really buy and sell screenplays, it buys and sells genres. Do you agree? Uh, to a certain extent, yeah, I do. Um, they are looking for material, because, because they are a corporation, <laughs> uh, they are looking for material that can be transitioned to a lot of different platforms. Uh, stories, they're looking for stories that, can, that aren't just movies, but they can be games, they can be plays, they can be musicals, they can be a book, they can be a graphic novel, and vice versa. All of those other things, like there are a lot of graphic novels. Um, my favorite gra um, story about a, a, a graphic novel that became a movie was one called Snowpiercer which was just amazing. And uh, I was worried that they would not be able to capture it in a movie, but they did a, a very good job on it. But there are a lot of different things. And you'll notice, well, it's in most of the superhero ones came from the comics. 
worldwide. So transmedia sounds mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it's not. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just transmedia. I, to me, it's it's like just it's it's adaptation. We usually think of adaptation of only being from books to film. But adaptation means just taking one piece of material, a story or a piece from that, a section from that, and putting it into another way of expressing it. Uh, it's just like, uh, I was at Disney when they were doing Beauty and the Beast, or redoing Beauty and the Beast as, you know, uh, as a modern animated uh, story with all the wonderful songs and everything. Uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg loved that story and the song so much that he had it come here. I mean, he had it turned into a musical here. So we actually had it before Broadway had it. It became so popular here that they eventually took it to Broadway. Now they are turning it into a live action one and it's going to be shown, I think it's in March next month. It's now going to be an actual live action. So it's sort of like it's taking different routes, but it's being used. It's the same basic story, but they're using it in different ways, you know, and finding, you know, new audience to look at it. And, and some of the fans of the story are going to come back anyway and see it in the new form as a live action instead of uh, just as an animated movie. Potential pitfalls or traps a screenwriter should be aware of when trying to sell their screenplay. Pitfalls. Hmm. I think the biggest one is don't try and make your project be one of those where you're forcing, trying to force it into being what they think the studio wants or what that production company wants. Uh, that's a big pitfall for me because then somewhere along the line, I think you sometimes will lose the heart of what your project is. Uh, I know I know a lot of times they they will ask for requests to do something to it and you you do need to if they bought it it is their project and so I think a lot of writers sometimes immediately are very protective of their project and they don't and they say well uh, yeah I'll sell it to you but you can't do this or, you know I mean I, that's sort of a, a first reaction what they have to understand is that they've got stockholders usually um, that they have to answer to and and there's when money is involved there are ch some changes they have to make I think when they when you are just in the talking stages sometimes they make um, writers make the biggest mistake is when they start being too too concerned about all of that and I want them to understand it's good to listen first to what they have to say before reacting immediately and jumping all over it. Uh, I think you need to listen to what people have to say and then talk it over uh, with your agent or talk it over with the creative exec who's there, which is the kind of work I used to do. And a lot of times I had to explain to him the reason why they asked for a certain change. Maybe it was because of budget. A lot of times it's because maybe they got a director and the director uh, maybe didn't like a certain aspect of it, or maybe it was an actress or an actor, and maybe their acting range doesn't cover sufficiently the emotional impact of a certain scene. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that, that people don't understand about it. So if you are fortunate enough that somebody is optioning or buying your project and they are asking for things, it's not because they don't like it, they want to see it get made. 
And sometimes it's because of certain reasons and you need to sit down and talk to somebody about it. Don't just immediately get, you know, all up in arms and just, I know I'm not going to do that and I hate this idea. And, you know, listen to what people have to say. Uh, sometimes it's something that's a, a small enough thing and there's, sometimes there's, there's ways you can compromise. Half of my job when I was a creative exec was trying to find the best way to still keep the project as the writer's vision as well. But sometimes if you have a director who's a big name, you have to weigh the consequences. Do we? Do you want to keep the big, are they going to keep the big name director or, or the first time writer? And it's a real easy thing for the studio. It's, they figure we've already bought it. We don't need the writer to come back and do the rewrite. And you want to stay in business with people. So sure. you have to learn when to, to to fight and when to listen to what's being said and when to give in, you know? And it doesn't mean you completely give in. Talk to the, you talk to the creative, because usually there's at least two execs. There's the, the, the uh, usually there's a VP and usually there's a creative exec. Talk to the creative exec and find out their reasons why. And see if there's some way that there can be some kind of a, a, a compromise to it. And a lot of times that was, that, like I said, that's, that was a great deal of my, of the work that I did was working with the writers. And I think that's why I was ex as successful as I was, is that the writers liked the fact that I would talk with them and I wasn't afraid to say, well, okay, here are some, here are some options we can do. Which of these options do you think fits your story best? If I would give them options, then they felt they were more in control. I wanted to give that to them so they wouldn't feel that everything was lost to them. I think sometimes uh, executives have a way of being very to the point and very brusque. Okay, we need to change this scene. Doesn't work. And sometimes they don't explain why. That's part of what a creative exec does. And so I think that that's something that, you know, if you're not sure, if writers are not sure, they should talk to somebody and just say, can you explain that to me in a little more detail? Because I wasn't quite sure what it means that it doesn't work. Exactly what is it about it that it didn't work? So I don't know. If that, I hope that, that helps because I do, I do feel that there have been a lot of writers who, who have lost uh, an opportunity to have their work produced because they immediately jumped up and they just said, no, I won't do it. Because they were too precious with it. Mm -hmm. And they didn't even want to listen to what, you know, the explanations or anything. How many working Hollywood writers do you know that don't live in Hollywood? <laughs> oh, gosh. I think once, once you do quite well in terms of, of film, uh, you can work just about anywhere. I know several writers in Hollywood that, that don't work in Hollywood, they live somewhere else. And you know, nowadays with technology, you can just, you, can, you don't even have to come down for meetings. You can just do it by the web and it works out quite well. So that's the good part about it. But in order to get established, sometimes it's a little harder for the first timers to be able to, you know, to do that. But even then, it's better than it used to be. Because sometimes what they do is if they like, like as a for instance, one of my clients actually was one of the finalists in, in one of the script competitions. And um, they, there was an, an agent that was interested in his work. And so the agent set up a meeting on the internet. And now he's represented. 
I mean, so it's you don't necessarily always have to come here. I mean, it's not. You, sometimes you might have to for television because television is one of those things where you sometimes are on the set making changes, uh, making script changes. So, if your uh, goal is to work in television, sometimes I understand that you you do need to sort of be here. They like staff writers here on the set because they're always changing things around. And they also have to work for, especially in, in uh, comedies, they're working with comedians. And so uh, when you change something, it's got to fit into that person's, um, how he delivers things. What, he, what, is, what is his style of comedy? And so it's got to be, you got to be right there with him so that he can, you know, when he's, you're making those changes, he can approve them or he can try them out. I know you've interviewed over 200 writers for your book. Mm -hmm of that group or even others that you've known through groups, what sort of against all odds screenwriter story has really stuck out to you where it, it seemed like success was never going to happen? You don't have to name the project or really any identifying things about the person, but just something that it just seemed like this person was never going to cross over to a level of success that they wanted and they did and it was pretty amazing. I think the, the example that I gave you earlier about the guy that he had, it, it wasn't until his 12th script that he finally got an agent. And even when he got the agent, it still took two more years before he finally got something optioned. So, you know, it's, it's a long process, but I, I am so proud of him because he stuck with it. And I think, you know, he... He just, I, I always ask him, I, I asked him about it. I said, you know, I just still don't, can't believe that you, that you just stuck with it that long. And he says, I don't know what it is. He says, but after about nine or 10 scripts, I wasn't gonna get, let it get the best of me. I just felt I had to keep going. Sure. And he did it. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it, it's one of those triumph the human spirit thing, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, damn, I'm not gonna let this happen to me. I'm just gonna keep at it. And he kept doing it. What really helped is that he had a daughter that really believed in him. And she was a little girl when he was starting to write all these scripts. And she was in college by the time that, you know, he finally got, a, you know, a script uh, sold and everything. And she just said there was something about my dad. She says he just wouldn't let up. He just kept doing it. And she... You know, she's so proud of him. Um, in between, there was a, a divorce, so <laughs> which was not a good thing. And and I was worried about him at that point. I mean, there was just something really special, though, about him. And I, uh, I to this day, though, I, you know, I, we still exchange, you know, Christmas cards and stuff like that. But he just is a, a, a wonderful individual. And I am so, you know, when I think about people trying to make it. Nobody deserved it more than he did. He just stuck with it. He would not let it get, get him down. What are some common mistakes that you see uh, web series creators make over and over again? Oh gosh, I think one of, one of the things is that a lot of people don't understand exactly what a web series is. And sometimes that what they're trying to do is they're trying to take maybe a script that they, a film script, that's like a hundred, like hundred minutes or ninety minutes, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to cut it up into episodes so that it would be like this is my movie and I'm cutting it up. So a couple, uh, the problem is that when when it's shown, web series audiences uh, are very fickle people, 
And the main thing is because, you know, we've got that little mouse and we can click on that thing anytime we want to. Or television set, you just click the remote if you change channels. And you can click and go up, go to another web series very, very easily if you don't catch someone's attention right away. And people don't understand that you can't just take a film script and chop it up and that's it. You have 90 minutes or 100 minutes to tell a whole story. You need to capture somebody's attention right away within the first two or three minutes. So a lot of people, like, especially because I'm, I'm with the LA Web Fest, I'm on their, their board, and one of our common um, complaints when we get people sending things in is they will have web series that are sometimes 15, 20, 25 minutes long. That's not a web series. That's mm -hmm. a short film. <laughs> and so, we, in fact, a lot of the web, web fest people now, we're trying to limit it to keep it because a web series is a... Uh, it, uh, we like to show them, and we like to show as many episodes as we can, but we can't if somebody's got 25-minute episodes. Then it's taking up too much time. So we tell people a web series, you know, if it's comedy, uh, it shouldn't shouldn't be longer than about six minutes. If it's a, a drama, no more than eight to ten minutes at the most uh, per episode. So I think it's understanding that web series uh, should be looked at as as a, uh, its own medium, and not that oh this is a movie and just cut up into little pieces. Interesting. And how many episodes would you recommend most web series have? You know, the average web series, I've seen some that were as little as maybe four or five episodes for one season. Uh, I would say the average is eight to ten a season. You know, and um, dramas tend to be slightly longer, as I mentioned. The, most of them, I would say, uh, are between eight to ten minutes, and the comedies are usually more like four to six minutes. Some of them are, are as short as uh, a minute and a half, two minutes. What are your thoughts of a web series creator making a web series and aiming for sponsorship right away? I, I'm hearing that from a lot of web series. We Oh, we're looking for sponsorship, and that's like the only goal behind it. Well, if you don't have a if you don't have a product, you're not going to get a sponsor. <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, it's the same thing as saying, "Okay, I got to find a studio to distribute my movie." Well, you haven't written the movie yet, so mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people get misled into thinking, "Well, as long as I have this crowdfunding campaign going and I can get money raised, then you know I can I can do all of this." Most of the web series people that I've talked to, a lot of them, they just started off just because they felt they needed to do it and they wanted to do it. And they, and they had so much fun. It was just a bunch of people. A lot of times they, they were uh, uh, cousins or brothers and sisters, siblings or something. A lot of times it was just um, kids in a dorm uh, that just decided, let's, let's, let's do one, you know, and they just did it. And they would, uh, we've had some that have been as, as primitive as just using your iPhone. And we had some that have been very sophisticated where, you know, they actually use wonderful, you know, technical things with camera and stuff like that. And some have one, you know, brilliant, you know, special effects and all that. It just depends on where you're at and what your story is. Uh, some of the more successful stories, though, I think, are the ones that are done just because these people felt they needed to be done. And they just, uh, they and they had an in interesting set of characters in an unusual circumstance. Uh, as an example, you know, some of this, I love the stories that come behind the web series. 
and and one of the things that that I've um, that I've been doing is I've uh, been asked to go to the different web fests around the world, talking about uh, uh, web series that concern social issues, and it was very interesting. Is that one of them is called Facetine, and it was about uh, basically it was called Facetine because it was about uh, a situation in, in Lebanon, in Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, the creator of it, her name is Katia, and she uh, she lived and and you know grew up in in Lebanon. Uh, middle class family or upper middle class, I don't know, but they they own some apartments, and she did her college um, work in London because there weren't any universities that she felt that, that she could go to in, in Lebanon that would um, support the fact that she wanted to do communication and television and stuff like that. So anyway, she her family sent her up there. She actually did quite well. She started working for the BBC, and she was their Al Jazeera contact because wow. she could speak, you know, um, uh, several different languages, mm-hmm. and she even got some awards for her work. But her parents were getting older, and so she made the decision to move back to Beirut and, um, you know, stay with her her family for a while and maybe see if maybe things how things were there. And she realized when she met with some of her fr- uh, friends that she had grown up with that a lot of things had gotten worse in in Lebanon. Uh, they, you know, of course, had had, you know, there, there were some bombings and, and uh, there were areas where, where she, neighborhoods where it used to be safe and they're no longer safe. Uh, and she realized there was something that she wanted to say and she, she felt that women especially uh, were the ones who, who were not progressing in, in Lebanon. Her facetine is about three women who eventually become best friends. And one is uh, uh, her husband has left her with their kid at his parents' place. He, he's through with marriage. He doesn't, want the, the, he doesn't want to be married. He doesn't want to be a father. And she is left by herself with, her, with their young child and with the in-laws. And she doesn't know what she should do. She just she does not get along with the in-laws. They blame her for everything. Well, you, my, our our husband, our son wouldn't have left if you were a good wife or you were a good mother, and constantly blaming her. So she needs to find a place to stay. Uh, she ends up staying, uh, finding a place to stay uh, in an apartment building. And the gal who the the daughter of the apartment owner uh, is very creative, and and she likes to make movies, and she likes <laughs> to. You know, she, she she's just curious about things, and she writes, and she does poetry, and she's just very creative. And, and her father keeps saying, when are you just going to settle down and get married? I should just marry you off. And, of course, she doesn't want that to happen. <laughs> and so the father, though, is, I mean, their parents are well-meaning, but they're very old-fashioned about it. But she she talks, sweet-talks her father into accepting this woman to, to, to be in one of their apartments. Uh, the woman has to work, and so she takes the, the son. She needs a tutor uh, for, uh, oh, she no, what is it? No, she, she's a tutor, and so she tutors for this woman who is very wealthy, and she, but she has a couple of kids, but her husband works in Dubai. Oh. And so she's by herself, 
but she's got a nanny and she's got all this, but she needs a tutor. So the woman who's, who's um, divorced is the tutor. But it's these three women who actually become very good friends. Mm. And what she did at the end of each web series was they got to vote on the ending. The audience did? The audience oh. got to vote for the ending. And then they would show the ending at the beginning of the next episode, on the, whichever one got the vote. And I asked her, well, why did you do that? And she said, I wanted to give women the opportunity to vote, to have an option, because they have so few options in my country. Oh, wow. And um, mm -hmm. Facetine won the uh, uh, grand prize at the Marseille Web Fest. Wow, good yeah. for her. And I'm sorry, what was the name of her website? Facetine. Facetine. F-A-S-A-T-E-E-N. Great. Yeah, and it's, a, it's an her. amazing one. Yeah, there's a, another one that's great. Uh, a gal named Teal Shear uh, always wanted to be an actress ever since she was a little girl. Unfortunately, at the age of um, 14, she was in a horrible car accident, and she was paralyzed and uh, from the waist down, and so she was in a wheelchair. Uh, but she it didn't stop her. She just was determined. She also was a dancer. Uh, when she went to college, she helped um, to put together a dance group that was comprised of people with disabilities and non-disabilities. And, uh, and she got a degree in communication and theatrical and, and theater arts. She moved to Los Angeles and was trying to get parts, but of course there's no, don't seem to be very many parts for it. But she met this one gal, Felicia Day, who created mm. the first yeah. web series, one of the first web series called The Guild. And Felicia created a character for her because she thought it was perfect because all of her cast is, are people that are, their, their characters are ones that sit in front of the games and they just do games all day. They're gamers and they all are quirky people. And so, perfect, this gal's in a wheelchair. So they only see her from here up anyway. So she did that and Teal thought about it and she says, you know, I, I think I should do a web, a web series about all the trials and tribulations of what it's like for me being a struggling actress in a wheelchair. And so it, she created it as a comedy, which is what I loved about it, is that it was taking a social issue and it was giving it a, a comedic twist to it. So w people were being advised of what was going on. Uh, of, of, they were being advised of how tough, difficult it is for people with disabilities. Uh, what are some of the misconceptions or stereotypes that people have about people with disabilities? Uh, things like even as simple as people talking louder to them because they th think they can't hear. Well, I can't mm -hmm. walk. It's not like I can't hear. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but people feeling they needed to talk differently to people just because mm -hmm. they have a disability. Um, but uh, Teal is just an amazing gal. Uh, her, hers is called My Gimpy Life. Oh, okay. And um, uh, and I just absolutely love it. And uh, I, I talked about her uh, at the uh, K-Web Fest in, in Seoul, Korea. Oh. And it was interesting because afterwards a gal came up and she said, I'm so glad you were, you told us about about this woman who who's disabled because my sister, younger sister, uh, has a, a leg deformity and she can't walk the way everybody else is. She can't even run. She can't, you know, play sports or anything. And she just stays in her room and she mm -hmm. keeps to herself and um, she just watches things on the computer and she doesn't socialize. But she says, you know, 
I've got to show this to her so she can see what can be done. And because she is so involved with the computer and, and looking at, she, she watches, she streams stuff all the time because she doesn't, she doesn't even watch television with her friends. She just watches things mm -hmm. on the computer because she's very, so you know, she's not anti-social, but she's, I think she's just um, feels less conspicuous. She feels more comfortable being by herself. So anyway, it was really interesting. I, I, I just, it warmed my heart to know that just by one person knowing about it, they could help this, this, the, her sister. So I went and told Teal about it. I called her and I said, Teal, you aren't gonna believe this. And I told her what the story. And she, she said, oh my God. And she said it made her tear up just to oh. know that her web series got through to somebody else and that it's, it, it, it's making a change. And it's um, and this is in Korea that this woman in saw Korea, it. Wow. and I said you now have a fan base in Korea. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> so web series are um, especially the ones that have social issues, and mm -hmm. a lot more women now are are able. I, I noticed there are a lot more women who are creators, producers, uh, directors, and acting in web series than the percentage in film and television which is pretty amazing too. So women are very much in charge in web series. It's a, a really good opportunity to break in in that way. And just as an example of some people who have broken in, uh, there's a gal named Issa Rae. Yes. And she came to our first one, our first and our second one with um, Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl, which has now been turned into Insecure mm -hmm. and uh, with HBO and has just like, it's been, in, in, uh, they're they're already you know doing the next season's uh, episodes. It's amazing. And more importantly, she got nominated for uh, a Golden Globe in her first year. Wow. <laughs> um, another example. There's a. Uh, you, do you know who Randall Park is? Heard the name. Uh huh. Okay. Um, Randall Park starred in two web series, and he. He even got some awards at the LA Web Fest. Uh, and then he got hired on Fresh Off the Boat. Oh, wow. He plays the father on Fresh Off okay. the Boat. <laughs> and so he's done in incredibly well. Uh, Gina Rodriguez, who was with Jane the Virgin, she starred in a couple of web series. And she got nominated and won a Golden Globe in her first year as Jane the Virgin. So all of these people got their start. And Issa, especially, she created the role, learned how to direct it. She had to, because you, sometimes you take on multiple jobs right. in web series because you don't have enough money to have individuals hired for that. But she wrote, directed, and starred in it. What are the key steps in developing a web series? I know you said before, it's not really a film script, so you can't really divide it up and just say, oh, great, well, these two pages are going to be the first episode. You know, you've got to design it, especially it sounds like for that five minute time period? I think the most, um, the most important thing is you have to have a character that you, that you feel will hold the audience's interest. And he or she has to be involved in something that is relatable. So uh, using something that's of personal interest to the creator is, is probably one good way to start. Start with an area of expertise that you're good at. There's a guy named Ed, and I've forgotten his last name, but he had a web series, and his was about a guy who was a chef. 
and the guy just he 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 could create great food with the women he just couldn't do anything <laughs> and uh, he uh, it, what he did was he started off with that premise, you know, what is a what does a guy got to do, you know, and the fact that he eventually uh, became, you know, became a chef, you know, shows his his the trial and error of him eventually becoming a chef and eventually making contacts. And it's very funny because one of his favorite things is he goes to the same sushi shop a uh, couple times a week. And the real reason he goes is not just because he likes the sushi, but because he has a crush on this one gal who works there. And uh, unfortunately, he sees this Asian guy come in um, and giving, giving, you know, uh, giving the gal a hug and everything and, and, and all this and saying, I missed you and all this. So he thinks, oh, my God, she's got a husband or a boyfriend. So, you know, and, and she's interested in him, too. You know, and she flirts with him and, and always asking him, oh, how are you doing and all this. So it's really cute. And it, it turns out by the end of the first season at the, I think, the, the last episode, he finds he he finds out that uh, that's her brother, <laughs> <laughs> and and then the the the, um, the love interest starts the, the love interest and everything grows from that. But uh, it's starting off with something that you uh, maybe an area that you know about. Like in his case, it was in fact his his I think his uh, his web series called, it's called Pairings. Oh, okay. You know. Mm -hmm. And so you usually think of pairings as like, okay, what wine goes with this kind of dinner or whatever. Right. But it talks about, you know, it's it's a play on words about, you know, what it was like for this poor guy who's a good cook but just can't see. He can cook everything and anything, but he just can't seem to get a gal, you know. Interesting. So, but he, he did he take this from his own experience? He was a chef or he is a chef? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he uses that as a way... Um, to advertise, what he does is he will say, um, if you subscribe to our, you know, to our, our web series, and it doesn't cost anything to subscribe. In, in his case, it, it didn't. He says, uh, uh, I'll, you'll, you'll get uh, this week's recipes. Oh, nice. You know? <laughs> so something a little different, yeah. but just something that's, you know, which kind of makes it interesting for the viewer and the fans. Um, and as it turns out, this guy now is going to be, I think, uh, last I heard, somebody to told me that he was planning on doing a cookbook. Oh, okay. And that uh, there's also an olive oil company, I believe, and a winery that advertise now. So he kind yeah, of got sponsors yes. okay. from it. So, I mean, he didn't purposely go out to do that. Right. So we're, we were talking a little bit about, you know, well, I have to find a sponsor first. In this case, the sponsor found him. Right. So so build it and then wait, you know, sort of that, that uh, field fill, of dreams. Yeah. And yeah. So don't, but don't set out to have it be your only Well, goal. if you don't have the story, mm -hmm. you know, you, you know, I, I in, in his case, he just was fascinated by by web series and he always you know enjoyed um writing and telling stories so for him to do that and to you know his day job was 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 being a chef right Interesting. and so it he combined the two of them and so i think that's you know there there are no okay first you do this this and that you know there's it's hard to it's the same thing as any kind of writing you got to sit down put your butt in the chair and do it that's that's the first step, and he 
you know, most of the successful web series I've seen, a lot of them started off by taking a character uh, not unlike sometimes themselves and trying to see, okay, what area of, what is the surrounding? What's the environment like? Uh, uh, another friend of mine that did a web series did one, she's lesbian, and she noticed that there weren't any lesbian web series. And she wanted to, to talk about the fact that a lot of people don't understand that really, um, you know, no matter what your sexuality is, People have stories and they have the same fears and insecurities that all of us go through when we're in a relationship. And so she did did one and it's it's in Australia and it's called um, Starting From Now and it's become an internet sensation. They have fans all over the world and they won a lot of awards. Mm -hmm. But she took the world that she was in and she thought, how can, how can I do something that's going to be interesting and yet, you know, and, and have characters that I think people are gonna care about. And when you look at it, they, those characters, they worry about their job just like we do. Mm -hmm. They worry about what their families are gonna think just like we do. They worry about um, uh, what the political situations are like or what, um, uh, they worry about people cheating on them. <laughs> it's a, it, and you see all of those things play out. They are now finishing up, I think they may have finished up by now, their fifth season. Oh, wow. So they've done incredibly well. What's the name of that one again? Uh, starting From Now. Starting From Now, okay. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it, it's based in Australia, but you can see it here. I mean, you can just Google it and you'll, it'll come up. I just want to switch gears for a second and we'll talk about authors just really quickly. So what should authors know about the differences in industry approach versus writing a book versus writing a screenplay? Well, first of all, you can't sell anything until you have a product. And so having a book is, is the, the first thing. Getting it published. And what's the, the with self-publishing, I know a lot of people now are saying, well, it's self-publishing and I've, I've, I've published a book. That sometimes, you know, that some, some places will accept that, some places won't. What I find interesting, though, is that um, in most of the major publishing houses, there is a rights division. And what you need to do is find, if you're a novelist, and you think your, your novel is something that could be adapted into a, a movie or a TV series or whatever, uh, go to the whoever heads up the rights department and find out how they feel about it and can they send something out, like send your book out to maybe producers or a particular actress or, or whatever. Publishing houses usually can do that, whether they will or not. I think it depends on how overworked they are. But um, that's, that's really how a lot of books end up in Hollywood, is because somebody in the rights department at the publishing house, sometimes even when they buy the rights and it hasn't even been published yet, it's just, They've signed the contract, but they've already read the story and thought, God, I could see this as a movie. That sometimes it automatically will just go to one of the studios. I know you talked about in your book on writing, it was chapter 12, group therapy for writers, which you say <laughs> is um, getting the most out of writing conferences and writers groups. Just as there's different, you know, some actors are great in certain classes and sometimes it's not a fit. How does someone know if it's a fit in terms of the writing group? How do we know that, you know what, this is the writing group for me? Or maybe, 
nice people, but I need to move on. I don't know if this is really the fit for me. Um, I think it depends on where you're at. Certainly, if you've um, written a couple of books or a couple of short, you know, short stories or something, and you've, you know, if you have uh, some material behind you already, whether or not it's published or not, but you've you've written a, a body of work, you have things to show. Um, I think it's it's you may not want to be in a rank beginning one, a rank beginning group. You may want to find a group that's already, um, you know, where everybody has at least uh, they're almost finished with their first one or they actually have had something published or they have a couple of short stories that they've done or something. In other words, it's not just starting off at the very beginning. I haven't written anything yet and this is a beginning writer's group. You want to try and find one that's at the same level that you are. At the same time, for people who just finished writing their first thing or just about ready to you know, try and get their work out there, finding a writer's group that's in their same genre is also very helpful. Mystery writers um, have a lot of groups. Uh, children's books, they have a lot of groups. In fact, um, I'm, I'm going to be doing a, a workshop for our children's book writers in a couple of days. They're, you know, finding it in the genre that you're in is important because not, it's not just general book writing. Yeah, we're just going to do this and, you know, because if, it's, if you're writing in mysteries or um, romance novels, uh, you know, uh, historical dramas, you know, those, those kind of books. If you're in a particular genre of a book, it's best to be in a group that also has the same type of um, uh, focus. It, it, uh, because certain agents look for certain, only certain kinds of um, genres in writing. So you know, uh, this is what's helpful is that, you know, again, they have regular writing conferences too. Uh, South Carolina writers, Pacific Northwest writers, um, California writers has one too. Uh, um, the Greater Los Angeles Area Writers Group, there's one, it looks like it says GLAWS, G-L-A-W-S. Uh, there's a lot of them all over the place. and. Uh, and usually every state has at least one or two writing conferences where agents come and you can book five, ten minute appointments for them to take a look at your work or, to, or a, where some of them will read like the first the synopsis and tell you whether or not they feel that your book is a good fit for them or not. And uh, sometimes, you know, they've, people have been very successful in that. So writing conferences for novelists are also quite good. Uh, if you do that, and writing groups like the South Carolina writers. I mean, they have writers in all different arenas and they break off into smaller groups according to, you know, genres. And now where does someone find these local writing groups? Is this like Meetup? Yeah, Meetup is mm -hmm. a great one. Yeah, Meetup is a site. really, really good one. In fact, <laughs> there's a gal I know who, who writes and what she does is when she knows she's going to be, you know, going on vacation or something, she has an agreement with her husband that he takes care of the kids for one day and she goes and finds a meetup at wherever they're going for a writer's group. That's funny. And, I, and she just, she's so funny. She, she's, I told her what she should do is she should write um, uh, a, a short story about it because she has met so many interesting people at these meetup 
ones. And it's great because then she has hosted some of these people from the different, when they come to her city, they do that. You know, she meets up with them. and she, So she's made a lot of friends that way too. I noticed with some of these meetups, not just even writing groups, but there's a, there's a, a cost to, to join. It's, you know, and I, and I get why, because mm -hmm. someone's hosting it, maybe they have material that they're providing. And also I think they want to know, are these people going to be serious and not just show up? So what do you think is a reasonable cost to join for a writer's group, whether it's per week or per month? Gosh, you know, I really don't know, because I, uh, the ones that I've seen, it's usually maybe per event. Mm -hmm. um, and it depends, like the children's writers group that, that um, that I'm going to be speaking at, it's $45, but it includes my book. Oh, okay. And so my book is $20. So it's, it's you know, the, uh, and the rest of the money helps to pay for the venue. Sure. Mm -hmm. And refreshments and, and, and that. So, you know, I think you just have to gauge it. Uh, a lot of them, though, I've noticed are free, too. You know, on Meetup, okay. Mm -hmm, on Meetup. I've seen some that are just per, are, are free. They don't, but it's just a meeting. It's just uh, just a bunch of writers getting together and just talking about all the different things that, you know, about anything to do with writing. And maybe they discuss, you know, a little bit about their, you know, about their material and, and all that. So it's, it's, it depends. I mean, some of them, there are no costs. I've, I've seen some where, where it doesn't say anything about a cost. But I've also seen some that were as high as $50, $60. And usually, though, it's because there's a speaker, and you have to pay the speaker, or you, or, you, or in this case, um, for the children book writers, you actually get a copy of the book. So you're getting something in return as well. You're getting a book as well as being able to hear, hear a workshop. What about the public library? Do they offer writing groups? I mean, do they organize that or no? You know, I think they used to, but I, I just, you know, I hate to say it, but at least here in California, I've noticed what's very sad is that um, libraries are at risk. Yeah. And uh, not just down here in Southern California, in Central California where I live, it's, it's like that too. They just can't sponsor those kinds of things. Library hours are being cut shorter. I've noticed, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you, I mean, I remember when I could go to the library at 8 o'clock at night, <laughs> you know, and make my Xerox copies if I needed something done sure. or something. And I notice now, it now closes at 5.30. Uh, they used to be open all day Saturday and Sunday. I noticed they aren't open on Sunday anymore. Same with our town, yeah. <laughs> but certain other towns are. But mm -hmm. not city of LA where we are. And yeah. the ones that I and, go to. Um, I think it just depends on on the area that you're in. You know where I do think they've got a great system is San Francisco. The mm. San Francisco public library system is beyond par. It's sure. just as amazing. And they have speakers that come constantly and it's free. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's um you know, the meetup groups are are great. Uh if you live in San Francisco, <laughs> go to check out the, the public libraries. They, they do. They, and there's a lot of writers who live in and around that uh, Bay Area yeah. that actually come and speak for free oh, that's whenever one of their new books comes out. You know. I know you've been a big proponent of writers asking questions, questions concerning anything about their career or whatever. But why would a writer be afraid to ask questions? I think people in general sometimes are afraid to ask questions. Um, for whatever reason, a lot of times, and I, and I used to be this way too, 
when I was a kid, I used to think, well, if I ask a question, people are going to think I'm stupid or that I, you know, why would I ask a question? I must not know what I'm doing. Uh, and it's the same. I think the older we get, well, a lot of times, you know, I, how many of you out there, you know, have been afraid to ask your boss, you know, a question because you don't know what they're going to say? Are they going to think you're, you're, you're stupid or you don't know what you're doing? I think sometimes asking questions, if, you know, and you've, if, especially if you're asking them and you phrase it in a way that, that uh, uh, is asking for advice, I think then people love it. People like being asked for advice. So I always believe there's something I call the open-ended question. The open-ended question is, is saying something in a way where you are not asking for a question that has a yes or no answer. You want to get information. And this is especially helpful when you maybe have one, uh, an interview with somebody, you know, like if, if you're pitching and you maybe have finished your pitch and they have finished giving you feedback and if they say, oh, do you have any other questions? That's the perfect time for an open-ended question, such as, what are some of the genres that you guys are interested in, in, in doing in the future? You know, that's not a yes or no answer. And it's getting valuable information so that you know, oh, okay. You know, if they say, oh, well, we're looking for an action piece or something like that, or I'm looking for a romance novel or something, you know. If you have something like that, that's a perfect way for you to then say, oh, you know, I've got a, I've got a romantic comedy and, uh, and you can do a log line on it. And, you know, it's, uh, it's halfway done. And, you know, would you be interested in taking a look at it? I mean, it's a way of breaking the ice, too, and opening up your conversation. So an open-ended question is just the most amazing thing. It's not asking something that's, oh, well, do you like this or not? That's yes or no. No, you're asking for their advice. Uh, other, other kinds of uh, examples of open-ended questions. What do you think about? Dot, 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 dot. Um, you know, you mentioned such and such uh, as, as being a, 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 a problem. Uh, can you, can you uh, give me some examples of this? So you have a better idea. You're extending the, one, you're extending the conversation. Two, you're gathering more information. And three, you're establishing a relationship, a back and forth relationship. They are going to remember, they are more likely to remember that conversation with you should you contact them later. You know, and especially if you do a little thank you note that says, you know, that says, dear so-and-so, thank you so much for taking the time to answer my questions. I really enjoyed talking with you and about, you know, such and such. As mentioned, uh, I have a, I finally finished my romantic, uh, my romance, romance novel or my romance comedy or whatever. And um, here's a, you know, I'm, a, I'm attaching a, a little short paragraph about it. And if you think this is of interest, I mean, you've started now a relationship. Uh, how successful that relationship is, I'm not sure, but at least you, that's the way you start a relationship. And that's how you, you know, if by answering and, and asking open-ended questions within your own writer's group as well, that's where I say start your practice there first. Then you can start using it on things like when you go to pitch fest or when you go to meet with um, maybe, you know, somebody who's a, who's a producer or an, an agent or something. So that's, you know, to me, that's, that's the best way to start getting your, your, your work out there and getting yourself used to it is, asking questions. 
Yeah, and I think it, it indicates interest too. Definitely. You know, because if someone says, well, great, do you have any questions for me? No, I don't think so. Then you think, oh, well, they're not, they're done. They want to leave. But if you show, yes, I do, it shows that this is something you want to commit time to. You're interested, you're mm -hmm. willing, you're open. Yeah, but the open-ended question, it's something I learned very early because I was a journalism major. And when you interview people, you don't want to just get a yes or no answer. So I've, uh, it's something that has worked really, really well for me, and um, it's worked really well for my clients, too, because they, it, it's such a, a simple thing, but you need to kind of practice it a little bit. And uh, it does. It shows interest. It also, when you ask people for their advice, people, even a boss, likes to be asked for his advice. And I don't, I think it's just the way that you, that you ask it. Uh, and it's surprising how the, the results that you might get. When a screenwriter finishes a screenplay, is there a checklist that they should sort of mentally or physically check off in terms of the business aspects of getting the script out there? Not just proofreading and grammar and syntax, all that, but I'm talking about in terms of, you know, what are the next steps? Who should they be sending things out? Should they make a chart of who they sent it out to? I think it's a good idea to, you know, to have a, a, a checklist or a chart. Uh, certainly, sending it out to a consultant or somebody who professional in the in the industry is is always very helpful because it gives you an idea of um, from somebody who has been in the industry a long time. What is it that might? What are the little things and some of the bigger things that might keep it from moving ahead? Uh, I think that also if you uh, if you have a I think one of the things that bothers me is, is when I is when I see that people really haven't taken the time to proof. I'm not kidding you, that's a major thing. I have, when I was an executive, I actually had cohorts in my office who were also execs, who if they found more than three mistakes in the first 20 pages, they would, not, they would stop reading and they throw it in the trash. Oh, wow. <laughs> I hate to, hate to say that, but that happens. That really, honest to God, that, that does happen. Uh, on the other hand, I'm always looking, give me a reason to say yes, you know. So uh, make sure that your, your, you know, the structure of your, your screenplay is such that right off the bat it catches your attention, that, that we are, that you've got characters that are so relatable that we're going to want to see them and see them either succeed or or to see the guy the antagonist fail. Uh, that's one of the one of the big things that I say is a lot of times people will pay more attention to the hero, and the unfortunate thing is they don't set up the antagonist well enough that it gives the hero enough um, enough enough contrast and interest. That's a big thing that I see a lot and in, in sometimes in, in the things that I've read is that they just, the, whoever he's up against, uh, whether, whether it doesn't have to be a, a, a person, it could be the elements, you know, like a storm or something, or, or it could just, you know, it could just be himself, but you don't see enough contrast in what's going on. And so I think that's a, an, another big mistake that, that people make and that they, they should take a look at it and have somebody read it and just say, you know, and ask that question. Is my antagonist strong enough? Yeah. Do you understand what's at stake and do you feel that the hero uh, has, has worked hard enough to achieve that success?
What's the difference, though, between getting coverage and getting consultation? Okay, coverage, um, a lot of people say, okay, yeah, I, I'm gonna get coverage on this. So they will send it out. Coverage is something that we use in the studio just to see, just so that the executive will know what is the story about. Because they sometimes don't have time to read the whole script. It takes about an hour and a half to read a script. And with a thousand scripts coming in every month, it's a lot of reading. So that's why they have story departments who do the reading. Uh, so coverage is just like a book report. It has a, it, it tells you, um, it has a little log line in the front, which is those one or two sentences that tells you the, the general idea of what the story's about. And then it's basically just telling you the story, just like a regular book report. This is what happens, and it usually is done in chronological order. And then it usually tells you a little bit, you know, there'll be box scores or something that will tell you, okay, uh, is this a big budget? You know, where does it fall in the budget? Is it, uh, how do you, how would you grade it in terms of, do you think the dialogue was, was well written? Do you think the you understood the characters and that they're, they, they have a, a story worth telling? You know, they'll have those kind of little boxes and you mark them off that usually says, you know, like excellent, good, bad, fair, you know, that like that and poor. And they just check those off and then they just write a little thing about, uh, I feel that, this, that I, I feel that the character, that the hero is too weak and there's just not enough interest in here, uh, you know, for us, there's not enough uh, uh, at stake for us to really root for him. You know, so they might give a few things. What a consultation does is they not only read your whole script, they go through and they usually tell you exactly what they feel does not work. They get into details. Uh, your dialogue is too on the news, or uh, we, you, you mentioned this character in the beginning, but we don't know why do you include this character if there's no payoff at the end for the character? Or they'll say, gosh, you know, I, I, I like your hero, but you know, you're, um, for some reason, I don't quite understand why your dialogue doesn't match the personality that you've given him. That happens a lot too where you know people people put their own words into the character rather than the character's words into the dialogue and that happens a lot too so that those are just some of the things that you know that consultants will find uh, I think the good thing too about having a consultant is they will tell you you know if you like for right now if you send in something that has to do with zombies or it has to do with you know uh, dystopian ideas and stuff. Sometimes they'll, you know, a consultant will say, you know, look, they they don't mind, but it has to have this and this and this. Zombies are are we've had too much uh, too many submissions on that. They probably are their chances kind of go down if if, if it's about zombies. I mean, they they will give you hopefully some up to date information on what they they they've gleaned from reading the trade papers and and all that. So I. That's what I do when I do a consultation. I will be very upfront about what I feel works and doesn't work uh, about it. They're not just about the writing, but about the script in general and how the marketplace is now. Because I don't want to ever lead them in the wrong direction. And I, I will be very upfront. I'm not going to be like brutal in my, I'm not, I try not to be brutal because nobody deserves that. 
But if somebody, I, I recently had somebody last year send me a, a script about zombies, and I had to be very honest about it. And I said, you know, this would have been a good script to, to, for people to consider three years ago. Unfortunately, I know for a fact that uh, I was recently at such and such, you know, at, at the script fest, and, and I know that several agents have said they do, do not want to see any more zombie scripts. They feel that, that, that there have just been too many of them. I mean, you, you have to be honest about it. I don't want to build up their hopes on that. I've done things also where I have said, do you think you can make a transition here where instead of zombies, maybe it has to do with something that like um, that there, is, there are people here who are actually aliens who have come to Earth. Or, you know, I, I try to help them come to a way that they can maybe change it so that the heart of the story remains, but the situation itself, like zombies or something, can be changed. I mean, it's it's different ways of being in. Different cons, cons, uh, consultations differ a lot. I try to do that if I can with, with mine, and I think a lot of my, my colleagues do that too, where we try to find out what we feel is the best of what they are doing and letting them know what that is and that this is, this is what we liked about it, and then let them know this is what could be a problem. Uh, and also along with it, what, whatever new information we can give them such as, you know, this is, we think that zombies have had their run. We've uh, been talking to, you know, we've, we were on panels and we've talked to agents and producers and, and uh, this is what seems, you know, this is not, this is the, and I sometimes will even put, these are some of the areas that they're looking at if they happen to mention anything. You know, like they're looking for, you know, uh, more action pieces or whatever the, whatever, you know, they are looking for. I, I just try to give them a little bit more additional information about, where they could take this project or where they could themselves, uh, what they want to start another project, what area they might want to start in.